0: Data analytics is a subject that has captured the attention of businesses large and small across the globe. It is often misunderstood as merely the technical aspect of collecting and crunching data, but it's much more encompassing and involves combining skills, methodologies, and tools to extract meaningful insights from data and drive informed decision-making within an organization. In this episode, Josh Napman, Vice President Data and Operations for Diageo, joins me to discuss the art and science of data analytics. Josh shares his journey as a marketing professional working at major advertising agencies and as head of digital marketing for PepsiCo North America to now play a pivotal role in data analytics at Diageo, a multinational company known primarily through its brands such as Kettle One Vodka, Johnny Walker Scotch, and Captain Morgan Rum, making it one of the largest producers and distributors of alcoholic beverages in the world. We'll discuss forming a business case for data analytics, defining the problem, the process, systems, and tools required, and presenting results in a way that make it actionable. Josh, welcome to our podcast series. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Before we dive into the subject matter, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and the journey that led you to a position focused on data analytics? Absolutely. I'm Josh
1: Napman. I'm uh, currently Vice President of Global Data and Operations at Diageo uh, out of New York City. As far back as I can remember, I viewed myself as half storyteller for my love of uh, culture, movies, music, comics, and also half scientist for my love of technology and the earth sciences, et cetera. So that really pushed me to dual major in English and communications at the University of Delaware. And my goal was always to work on Madison Avenue in advertising, which I always viewed as the perfect mix of art and science. And so I worked on an ad agency on the East Coast, multiple ad agencies on the East Coast and West Coast for about ten years. My biggest success was CBWA Media Arts Lab on the Apple account, where I produced about ten Mac versus PC ads and the MacBook Air commercials. And my biggest failure was actually at the RNL Group on uh, the PepsiCo account, where I mm. was involved in one of the biggest rebranding mistakes ever in uh, the form of the Pepsi logo and the Tropicana packaging. Post agency life, I worked at PepsiCo leading Pepsi's North America Digital Marketing, and that was really at the early days of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, working on multiple Super Bowls and Grammys, and this is where I really sunk my teeth into what is the, let's say, data and analytics behind those communities and really digital marketing overall. After Pepsi, I tried the startup life, building the digital marketing department at Kind Snacks and leading marketing at a small natural toothpaste brand called Hello Products. After realizing that startups weren't for me, I changed my focus to making every consumer, customer, and employee experience with Diageo better using data. And it probably sounds a lot like a marketing background, uh, and it is, but really throughout there, I've always loved marketing for the fact that it was, i say, a combination of creativity and the data and the facts behind that creativity what do consumers want, what do consumers need, what do our customers want or customers need, and really understanding how do you minimize the assumption behind those thoughts. And that's really where I fell into uh, analytics and data and really loving the the fact-finding behind it.
0: It's so fascinating. I see um, data analytics as very much a multidisciplinary science, really. And I think the way you're coming at it is really fascinating. As vice president of data and operations at Diageo, Tell us about who is Diageo, what's the company, and what does your role entail?
1: Sure. Diageo is the largest spirit company in the world, headquartered out of London, Uh, and there's about over 200 brands sold in 180 countries. Not every day people know what Diageo is, but most people know us by our iconic brands, such as Johnny Walker, Guinness, Smirnoff, Kettle One, Cosamigos, you name it, and we probably have the leader in the category. Hmm. And my role as vice president of data and operations sits within the global digital team responsible for digital transformation. Now, most people think digital transformation is all about data and technology. It's actually not. The real transformation is to go from a brand centric approach of what do we want to tell people? And what do we want them to do for us? to more of a consumer centric approach, which is what are their needs? How do we know them better than literally anyone else? And so my role is ultimately to establish the strategy, the expertise, the technology and data needed in order to go from consumer insight to consumer action with as much speed and accuracy as possible. Day to day, that's really clarifying our business goals, coming up with how data can help us reach those goals, hiring smart people with expertise, establishing the processes, procuring the technology, and harmonizing the data needed to execute and orchestrate the strategy to deliver results for the business
0: what research I've done on data analytics, there's a variety of definitions and how people define and what are the key elements. Maybe you could just bridge that gap a little bit and give us a working definition of what is data analytics and what are some of the key elements?
1: So for me, data analysis is really the process of collecting and organizing data, identifying patterns and relationships within that data, interpreting the results. And for me, what I view as the most important part is actually Presenting the findings in a way that is exciting, inspiring, or really kind of drives towards somebody making a better decision. Obviously, there's the technicalities of data analysis, which is, let's say, descriptive or diagnostic, prescriptive and saying, what should we do next? Predictive of what's going to happen next. And probably my favorite, which is adaptive, which is how do we constantly learn basically from the data? what we should be doing and inform all of the other things that we were just describing. So descriptive diagnostic, et cetera.
0: Got it. Wow. What's the starting point? So it's not something that you like wake up this morning and say, I think I'm going to analyze this. And I would think that you have to have a starting point. Where do you begin a problem statement, looking at marketing? Where, where do you start?
1: I mean, for me, there's, I can answer this question in two ways. And let me start with the first one. There are three types of data analysis projects for me. One is reactive. The other one is recurring, and the last one is research. So reactive is when someone wants a data point that supports their cause. That's usually somebody just saying, hey, I need an answer to a question. How quickly can you get me the answer to that question, and what data do you have that backs that up? And that can be going into a dashboard. That can be a quick analysis in an Excel sheet, usually not that heavy of a list, more of a point data. The next one is recurring, in which it's when someone consistently wants a report on what happened and why and what should be done next. And this can be something such as a quarterly business review or half year business review. It can be around media performance. It could be around, uh, customer lifetime value. And then the last form of project is research, which is where it gets really interesting. And each project kind of starts the same with a question, usually a generic one, like how did it perform? How did it do? And if you ask a generic question, you're going to get a generic answer. And that's where I would say there's a a major watch out in data analysis, which is are you stating the obvious? And so what I like to do is always do a brief back, which is we're trying to get to a better answer by getting to the best possible question. And once we get to the best possible question, we essentially establish a theory for what the answer might be, taking care to include the type of data and the type of analysis that might be needed to prove or disprove that theory. So it's really kind of like a scientific process, but at the end of the day, it's really a what's the best question that we could be asking? And in order to get to the best possible answer with the resources that we have on hand.
0: So I hadn't imagined that there was this distillation process up front where you're really boiling the question down to what is the key element? What are we looking to accomplish? But when it comes down to it, you also have to have data available, right? Or you have to create data. So are you utilizing, let's say, big data sets from various sources? Or are you more often generating your own proprietary data?
1: I would say it goes a lot of different ways. There's a couple of different forms of data. Usually it'll be classified as like first party, second party, and third party data. First party data for me at Diageo is going to be, what are we collecting across websites and from our media, from our events, from our brand homes, and also from our sales data, from our supply chain. And that creates a ton of data. And usually the question I would say, before I joined, a lot of the questions were in silos. So going, how is my media performing? not recognizing that it's actually probably reliant on everything from supply chain to whether or not the product is available in stores from the commercial team. Hmm. And so from a data source standpoint, when it comes to first party data, I would say most companies start from a siloed approach of in my department, in my expertise or on my computer, what can I know about the problem and how can I come up with an answer to that problem? But the thing that we're really moving towards is what we'll call is multi-source analysis, which is how do I, taxonomically speaking, organize the data or give access to or centralize the data in a way that is easy to sort through so that I can co-mingle those data points. Because if I, again, if I ask a generic question of how did my media perform, it's not going to tell the whole story. Just like humans, business is extremely multifaceted Mm. and there's a lot of ways you can view it. And so I try to take as holistic of a view of data as possible without boiling the ocean. Now, that said, are there a lot of data points outside of what Diageo captures, captures from consumers with consent? And the answer is yes. There's a lot of second party data where that can be from our customers, such as retailers. That can be from our distributors. That can also be from major media companies that everybody knows and loves or hates, such as metas and Googles of the world where it's their first-party data. Right. And just for full transparency, we actually try to avoid third-party data, which is basically aggregated data. And the reason why is we'd love to know how that data was aggregated for consent purposes and quality purposes, but if they share that, then that's ultimately going to give away their secret sauce of how their product's made up and we can probably copy it. And so we try to avoid third-party data sources as much as possible because... First-party data is our most valuable, and then second-party data is a close
0: second. Got it. But it's really all about, and I guess part of your role is to, once you understand the question, then define the data sets that are most relevant. And then the aspect that you spoke about, which is you sort of do a correlation analysis. Does a movement in this data correlate with what we're trying to accomplish over here? And so you're trying to bridge the gap and put all that together, as you say, take a real holistic approach.
1: Yes, exactly. And- We're looking for instances of correlation causation. What is the standard deviation? Like really kind of doing, I'd say analysis to understand, are these actually correlated, are these causal? And then I'd say the last way to think about it is if it is causal, is it having a large effect in its cause? So to give an example would be, let's say we believe that if I run media in a certain zip code, that that is going to have a large impact on sales. And I see that, oh, it, it does in fact correlate, then I explore further with the analysis and go, it is actually a cause of it, but it turns out that its impact is actually um, really quite small. Then it allows me to at least have the conversation of, is this worth it? Or what is the point of diminishing returns to continue with that activity? And a lot of people look at data analysis as if it's going to give you a definitive answer. I'm inspired by this or encouraged by this, but it, it frustrates some people is that it's not actually about um, getting to an answer and then that being it. Nine times out of 10, good to data analysis, causes more questions. <laughs> it should make you think of what should be the next step, what should be the next question. And that really kind of builds up a data-driven culture. And that really causes people to really examine it. What can I make better? What is the reality that I'm operating in? and What are the different ways to do this?
0: So you're really finding that hidden value within the data sets. And then what you're doing is you're informing those decision makers, which gives them the opportunity to make better decisions, right?
1: Exactly. My goal is far too often in business, there's a heavy reliance on guts or right. an over-reliance on data. My goal is to, I'd say, have as informed of a gut as possible, or at least to give people pause when they're making a decision. An example of that would be if somebody is like, I'm going to, I'll use another media example, I'm going to advertise to the entire country instead of a more targeted form of advertising. I'm going to dive in and explore from the data whether or not that is the highest ROI, whether or not that is the most efficient, whether or not that is the most brand safe. And I'm going to give them the facts from the way that I view it. They can have the entire point of view so they can make as informed a decision. And then sometimes it'll go, no, the answer is no, it doesn't look that way. And then they have the opportunity to go, I want to continue anyway, because I still think that that's the best regardless of the data. And sometimes it happens, but it at least gives people pause and gives them support for or against the decision so that they can actually make a decision.
0: Now, we started to touch upon it a little bit. Once you've analyzed the data and you've drawn some conclusions and and had some insights for people, it's time to present the findings. And we often hear about data visualization and creating those graphic representations and convert the complex data relationships into more digestible forms. How do you go about this and what tools do you commonly use? So I'm going to,
1: candidly and possibly controversially, um, I'm going to state that I despise data visualization, (laughs) (laughs) and the reason for my hatred of data visualization is that everyone wants a dashboard. Everyone wants these beautiful graphs with hundreds of KPIs, and at the end of the day, they don't log in, they don't take the time to think about it. They're looking for an answer rather than a discussion. Don't get me wrong, there are some incredible data visualizations. I have a particular passion for Edward Tuft, who's the foremost expert of beautiful visualizations. But for me, and for this reason, my main tool is actually Excel and PowerPoint, uh, the love language of corporate America, if wow. you would. okay. <laughs> I've worked across Tableau, and Power BI, and DataRama, and some ThoughtSpot, and they all have interesting perspectives on them. But a lot of data analysis focuses on the visualization, but not on the story the visuals are meant to tell. So the way that I approach data visualization is to, first and foremost, Write out long form what the findings are. You can't hide in a white paper or a Word document. Then I try to keep on boiling it down as simply, compellingly, and directly as possible through a ton of editing until I can get into a one or two sentence summary that lands the point I want to make. Hmm. And then ultimately after that, I go into metaphors because the vast majority of the time you're presenting to people that don't live and breathe data or digital. And so I try to come up with a story to tell. Then I select an image that can represent that story with the headline overlaid on it. And then I just tell them the story. I'll give you an example that I gave to my board recently, which was I had the data backing up that there was a disconnect between, let's say, going into the Guinness storehouse and then what happens after the Guinness storehouse as a consumer. And so the way that I described it to them was imagine going into a party and having it, introducing yourself and having an incredible time at the party and you meet all these wonderful people and you have this incredible experience and you're like, Oh, you know, this is great. And then afterwards you literally never hear from any of those people ever again, even though you might bump into them on a regular basis. And so I tell that story and then I say, That's what we are currently doing or we were doing when it came to how we manage relationships at our storehouse. And it brought to life of the point that I wanted to make. And so it was less about the data and it was, this is backed by data. This story comes to life in a different way. So I focus on a slightly different uh, point of view on data visualization. And I go, I will make a single point and then try to tell the story overall rather than trying to make a lot of uh, graphs and images, et cetera.
0: Right, but it all comes down to communicating and whether it's, and uh, as you point out, you wanna make sure that you have the detail behind it and then you distill it down to a simple statement. What is the point okay. I'm trying to get across? And then I love the use of metaphors. I mean, we, we all learn easily when we can relate to something, make it very relatable. Exactly. Now, one of the topics, and and it's it certainly dominates not only the technology news, but news in general, is the impact of artificial intelligence or AI on the future of work. Uh, mm-hmm. Let us know your thoughts about AI and its potential impact on data analytics.
1: Yeah, I mean, AI is going to fundamentally change the world. I'm definitely not a AI doomer. I believe that AI is going to be more of a co-pilot or an augmenter of people rather than a replacer of people. And the reason why I say that is that AI is excellent at providing answers. It has basically commodified answers in a more advanced way than Google search has. I really think about AI in terms of everybody has access to all of the world's information that has ever existed in their pocket through Google search. And that is just giving you the options of what data to pick. Now the difference between search and AI is AI is just gonna give you the answer based off of what it knows about you or knows about what your goals are. And for me, that's incredibly powerful. I would say in terms of the future of how that's going to impact business, I think a lot of people are worried about AI of it taking their role. I think it's a fundamental shift in terms of education and also training in that if all the answers are readily available, then the actual power and the actual thing that we need to train people on is to be more curious, to ask those better questions. So the reason why I'm so excited for AI is because I think Data analytics is very well positioned to be um, the experts at that, and especially the people that are not just number jockeys, but um, excellent storytellers. That, to me, is the future, which is AI being prompted by humans and augmenting their abilities to do more with less.
0: I like the way you phrased it. It has the ability to become your co-pilot, right? Where it's not taking your job, but rather it's enhancing your performance. And one of the things that we talk about often is, you know, the fear, especially within education of training young people on the best use and how to use AI. But I think that in the job in the future, I would think that that's going to be an integral part of your knowledge base that you bring to any future employer.
1: Yes. It's funny. I I talked with our HR department recently about this, Of What does the future of training and hiring look like when you have these, I would say, treasure troves of expertise and case studies and uh, the ability to synthesize mass amounts of data and information, you still need a smart human in order to basically sift through and prioritize within that to prompt it to go deeper or to steer in a certain direction. I think a lot about the movie Interstellar, strangely enough, of when Matthew McConaughey's character is kind of falling through the Tesseract and it's Space and time didn't matter until somebody had a point of reference from an emotional standpoint. And so I very much think that humans will play an integral role in AI. And I think education and training in that regard means rather than saying this is exactly what you need to do, it's more of a this is how you have to think. And the way that I've always viewed education is it's not only, I would say, the the trade aspect of it, but it's also the how to think, how to be curious, how to prioritize And I think those are always going to be incredibly valuable. The other, I would say, element from a training and education standpoint is being able to work with other people and explain complex things in simple ways. And that's, I would say, something that all of corporate America really needs help with is how do you remove the complexity? How do you work with other people? Yeah, that's my thoughts on the impact of AI and the fundamental changes that are coming to the work environment.
0: We all see it. It dominates the news. There's a bit of fear mongering out there. But as one who has played and dabbled with AI for some time, I think what it does is enhances my ability to communicate. And by the way, issues of communication, whether internal or external within corporate America, has been a problem for decades. But that brings me to the next question. As we look out there, and I noted, I looked at several studies where the 10-year employment outlook in the field of data sciences and data analysts, it's very positive, and it ranges from a 23 to a 35% growth rate into the future. Do you agree with this outlook, and do you see a growing reliance on data to inform and reduce the risks in decision-making? Because especially now when the cost of capital has gone up, although it's certainly not anywhere near an all-time high— you have certain level of resources within corporate America. Where do you invest that money? And probably we're in the best place we've ever been in terms of mitigating risk when making decisions.
1: I very much believe that the field of data overall and analytics will continue to grow exponentially, especially with an emphasis on AI, because AI is just not going to work without data, without people that understand the data behind it, whether or not it, the data has biases in it. And that is the future of the field of data. For me, the ones who will succeed won't be the necessarily only number jockeys, but also the storytellers. Mm. Can you say it to grandma so that she understands it and gets excited by it? So I really believe that it's the place to invest time from a career standpoint, but also it's the place that's getting the vast majority of investment across most corporations. The vast majority of corporations are behind with regards to their understanding of what the reality is based off of data itself. And the people that can navigate that, the people that can I would say, communicate that are going to have an advantage
0: over anybody else. Now, for our leaders listening in, and again, those people out there that have, have yet to really adopt or create a formal data analytics process, what's your advice to them?
1: My advice is twofold. One is that you have to be crystal clear on the problem that you're actually trying to solve and what the definition of success is. Mm. Data can quickly become overwhelming and try to boil the ocean. That's the reason why a focus on exactly the problem that you want to solve is the first and foremost requirement. The second one is don't start from a place of data and technology or what I lovingly call shiny object syndrome. Don't start with the most advanced use cases or the thing that you're seeing around every place else. Really have to build up from foundational to mainstream to leading to pioneering in terms of your capabilities because if you try to run and you don't have the proper foundations, you're immediately going to fall flat on your face and waste a lot of time and money. That doesn't mean that data can't significantly impact your business. It's a matter of, you didn't build it up and understand what the impact could be or the resources needed for it. Take it step-by-step, start with the basics and
0: you will quickly move up into the more advanced outcomes so that your business can fly. Wow. That's simply stating great advice. Last question for you, Josh, Mm -hmm. what one word describes who you are? I would say restless. And the reason
1: why I say the word restless is because just throughout my career, I've gone from thinking of myself as a copywriter and creative to an account planner to somebody that's in marketing. And then I'm leading a data and analytics organization. The reason why is because the world is constantly changing and it's almost impossible to keep up, but my restlessness is the thing that's keeping me at the forefront uh, and curiosity of what can I learn. And I believe that career-wise, rather than chasing money or bosses or titles, I really chase whether or not I'm learning on a day-to-day basis. Restlessness enables that learning.
0: Wow, that's very well put. Josh, thanks so much for your valuable insights and your time today. We really appreciate you being part of our series. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. Josh described his role at Diageo as establishing the strategy, expertise, technology, and data requirements to move from consumer insights to consumer action. He provides us with a working definition of data analysis as the process of collecting and organizing data, identifying patterns and relationships within the data, and then interpreting the results. He described three types of data analysis. Reactive, uh, which is a response to a specific question or request for an immediate analysis. Recurring, typically periodic reporting on past activities and related performance. And then research, usually starts with a question. But before responding, he sends a back brief to clarify and develop the best possible question, to formulate a theory, and state the type of data and analysis required to prove or disprove it. We discussed various data sources, starting with first party, which is the company-generated data, second party, from their customers such as retailers and distributors, and from major media companies like Meta and Google, where it's their first-party data. And then third party, which he generally avoids since it is aggregated data provided without a clear understanding of collection and consent information. An interesting observation though, as it relates to first party data, many companies seem to capture data in silos for specific departments or operational activities. Josh talked about the unsiloing of data that supports a multi-source approach, reflecting the impact of various business activities, which enriches the analytical conclusions. For him, his most crucial role is presenting the findings in an exciting and inspiring way. When presenting, Josh starts with a draft long-form narrative, which he distills down to a short and compelling one- or two-sentence summary, highlighting key findings. Now, to make this relatable, he uses metaphors and storytelling techniques. So he has less tolerance for fancy data visualization techniques and opts to use Excel and PowerPoint more often. Yet he did mention Edward Tufty, And if you're in the data analytics field, you should read Tufti's book, Visual Display of Quantitative Information. Josh sees a solid connection between AI and data science as more of a co-pilot and as an augmenter of people rather than a replacement. He foresees opportunities within the analytics space growing exponentially, especially with an emphasis on AI, with the greatest success going to those with the greatest storytelling and communication skills. He noted that people will not ignore their gut for answers or in contrast, have an over-reliance on data when making decisions. But as he said, your analysis should cause them to pause, to consider for and against options before making a final decision. A starting point for business leaders embarking on data analytics programs is to be crystal clear on the problem they're trying to solve and then define success. Data can quickly become overwhelming. Focusing on exactly the problem you want to solve is the first and foremost requirement. The second thing is don't start out with the most advanced technology use case and the thing you see around everywhere else and don't fall prey to the shiny object syndrome. Take it step by step. Start with the basics and you'll see you'll move quickly up to more advanced outcomes. And the one word he used to describe himself was restless. As he said, the world constantly changes and keeping up is almost impossible. But restlessness is the thing that keeps him at the forefront and driving his passion for learning. We thank Josh for sharing his story and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecca and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Interim Dean of the School of Management and Executive Producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our Marketing and Social Media Strategist is Petra Shantaraga and our Audio Editor and Mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco for all their support. Until next time.